Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're my neighbor. Is that hard for you? <laughs> um, have you been enjoying this neighborhood series? Man, I tell you, I have really, really been enjoying it. You know, it lines up with our call and the Great Commission to go out and make disciples. And as we've been going through and talking about this, today we're, we're looking at Mark chapter 10. And I invite you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we're focusing in on verses 13 through 16. And this is about, it's probably one of the most famous passages of when Jesus was talking about children. And, you know, as, as I've been looking at and studying the life of Fred Rogers, I've, I discovered something new that I didn't know about him. But when Fred was a child, he was actually uh, the victim of bullies in his area. And he, he talked about how when he was a child, he was overweight. And so one of the things that, that – because uh, kids, kids can be cruel, can't they, sometimes? But kids would often call Fred Rogers Fat Freddy. And it was not a term of endearment for him, Right. And so a lot of times it, it, the bullying had gotten to the point so bad to where his parents would have to drop him off at school in the morning and then pick him up afterwards, you know. And it's, it's a story that I can associate with. I was very overweight. I was 80 pounds overweight as a young child. And so I was called things, uh, not Fat Duane, some things that I wouldn't even repeat here this morning, which is very crushing to a child. It's very crushing to your self-image of growing up and what that means. And so he tells a story about how one day school got out early and his parents weren't there to pick him up, so he had to walk home. He had to get back to his neighborhood. And as he began to walk, the bullies saw that this is an opportunity, so they began to chase him. And the whole time saying, Fat Freddy, Fat Freddy, we're going to get you, we're coming after you. Do you know what he was thinking about the whole time he was running? He was thinking about, if I can just get to Miss Stewart's house... I'll be okay. See, Mrs. Stewart, she was a widower in the neighborhood that had befriended him, that had pulled him in. And when his parents weren't around and when there weren't people around, this was his safe haven. This was his place in the neighborhood that no matter what was going on. So as he ran, he knew that those bullies could not stand up to Mrs. Stewart. How many Mrs. Stewarts we have out there? You're like, man, don't mess with my kids. Don't mess with my neighborhood. This was Mrs. Stewart. And he has this wonderful quote that I love. He says, the tough times I've been through turned out to be times in which God's presence was so clear, so real, that it felt like Mrs. Stewart opening the door and taking me into her safe home. Think about that. Through all the tough times that he was going through, it turned out to be times in which God's presence was so clear that what did he associate it with? He linked it back to a neighborhood lady, his neighborhood, that opened the doors of safety. This was God in flesh. And this is the opportunity that we have, not with just children, but with everyone. When we take on that persona, that neighborhood persona of opening it up and welcoming in, it's comparative to the life of Christ. And this is what I believe Jesus was talking about. Mark chapter 10, 13. Would you read this with me? Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 13. Read along. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. 
But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. That's the welcome team for the church, okay? Not our church. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with the disciples. And he said to them, let the children come. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Amen. So many truths in this. And as we just begin to unpack this this morning, I want us to look at a couple of things. And one that I want us to focus on, first of all, is the approach. We're going to look at how children approach Jesus and what we have to learn about it. But then secondly, we're also going to talk about the barriers that oftentimes as it comes to relating to Jesus Christ and even in the area of discipleship, that there are often barriers that we set up. Some of them we know about and some of them we see, but there are also unintentional barriers that we need to unpack today. And then as we wrap it up this morning, we're going to be talking about the call. Jesus has a very clear call in this. We're going to look at the approach, the barriers, and the call. Can we just commit this to the Lord this morning? Father, we thank you for your word that is a light to us. It is directive to us. So, Lord, in this moment, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My God, my rock, my redeemer. Lord, we strip away any hindrance that we may have, anything that would prevent us from hearing your word today so that we can run freely for you, freely for you. And everyone said together, Amen, amen. So let's start off with the approach. See, we approach Jesus like a child because there's a lot that we can learn from children. And I would even say, for me, when I had children, I became a better person. Because when I had children, any selfishness that was in me was immediately revealed, right? My kids did stuff I didn't like. They woke me up early in the morning. They didn't go to sleep when I told them. I gave them food. They spit it out. They did all kinds of other outs with the food. And it was just, it was, they were messy all the time. And it immediately revealed what kind of person I was. How many of you kind of, right, you're, you're taking care of kids, you're watching kids, and you walk away and you look in the mirror and you're like, who am I? How did I become this way? See, they teach us a lot. And we need to pay attention because especially here, Jesus says, the kingdom of God, it belongs to those who are like these children. It belongs to those who are like those children. And he's saying that there's the power is in how a child approaches. And when we look at how, the chil- how children approach Jesus is they approach him like this, empty-handed. See, we have a lot of stuff in our lives. But when kids approach us, and when especially back in that day as they're approaching Jesus, they approach with literally empty hands, but also in heart where there was nothing in the way. See, one of the big hindrances that we have to following Christ is that we often have too much. We possess too many things. We have things that we're holding on to. And it's so hard for us to to receive what Christ has. Because if you are all packed in and you've got all this stuff in your life, you're carrying all these bags, how in the world are you going to receive what Jesus has for you? And Jesus, he's setting it up here with children as they come to him empty-handed. But then he follows it after this illustration with the children in Mark 10, verses 17 through 31, as he talks about this, this conversation with the rich man. And if you study the Bible, you've come across this, that as he talked about the rich man, this rich man came to him and he asked this very question. He asked Jesus, 
what must I do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a good question? It was a man who recognized this life is not all there is. This life is not, for, not forever. There's a soul involved. And so he's going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, he starts with this man by talking about all the good things, basically all the commandments that deal with how we be a good neighbor, right? He says things, well, you must not murder. How many of you are happy for that one? You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. And you must not cheat anyone. And you must honor your father and your mother. Now, these are all good things. I think most people in society, whether they're a follower of Christ, they can look at those commandments and go, those are good things. Don't murder, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, honor your, your father and your mother. These are things that I think most people would agree with because they're the foundation of society. But then the Bible says in verse 21, it says that Jesus looked at him and he felt genuine love. So he told him all these things. He's like, yep, those are good, Jesus. But then he looked at him with genuine love in his eyes. And he said, there's still one thing that you haven't done. Just one thing. And it's this. He said, sell all of your possessions and follow me. Sell all of your, your possessions and follow me. And he probably cried like the baby. What do you mean, sell all my possessions? Do you know how wealthy I am? See, Jesus, he went to the heart of receiving. He laid out a test before him. He said, yeah, you've done all those things for your neighbor, but are you ready to receive what I have for you? And the man's response is recorded in verse 22 where it says, at this, the man's face fell. And he walked away happy? No, he walked away sad for he had many possessions. His face fell at that, that act of surrender. And the disciples, they were astounded by this because they're saying, if that guy can't do it, who's obeying all those commandments, then who in the world can enter heaven, Jesus? What does this mean? And here's the answer. The answer is those who have empty hands. See, it is an inheritance. It's something that the Lord is giving us. And he's saying that if your life is so full and so owned by all this, there's no room in your life for anything else. See, Jesus, he doesn't share our life with my stuff. Jesus doesn't share my life with anybody. There's only one ruler qualified. You know who the qualified ruler is? It's Jesus. He's the only one that has your back consistently. Nobody else has your back the way that Jesus does. Nobody else knows you the way that Jesus does. Nobody else is there 24-7 and into eternity the way that Jesus is. He's the only one qualified. He's the only one that is out for your good, that transformation into the likeness of Christ. He's the only one. Why would he share that with my stuff? He doesn't share it with anybody. And that's what he's saying. See, we want Jesus, but we want to keep everything else. And we fall in this trap of we want to be collectors of the faith, collectors of knowledge. When he said, I want you to be a possessor of God, having God in your life. We're not called to be collectors of all these ideas. We're called to be possessors of the very spirit of the living God alive in us. I think sometimes we just want a collection of things on the shelf. And when we need it, we pull a little bit of this and a little bit of that. He's saying that's not how you live. You can't live that way. There's no way you can operate in that way. There's no way that you can be filled with the agape love, that God-like love that we are called to live out without being possessors of it, being filled with the Spirit of God. 
your hands are too full. Too full. Have you ever seen a child's reaction when they see something better than what they have? Right? When they have something in their hand, you give them something and something's better, what do they do? They throw it down and they run to whatever it is. They willingly give it up. And when they find something that is good, you're not going to get it out of their hands. At least I can't get it. I've been unsuccessful getting it out of their hands. Let me say it that way. What he's saying is that that childlike faith, looking full into the face of Jesus, you look at your stuff and you go, I don't want this stuff anymore. I want whatever God has for me. I want what Jesus has for me. Not collectors, but possessors. See, God's desire is to flow through us. We're called to be conduits, a pipe that is flowly, that is freely flowing the spirit of the living God in everything that we do. Does water flow through a clogged pipe? Not very well. I have a great illustration that my wife said I can't share this morning, okay? But trust me, <laughs> clogged pipes cause a big problem. A big problem. But how many times are we happy and content just to have a clogged pipe in our life? Instead of allowing the Lord to come in, to cleanse us and to flow freely through us. Those of you that have had to deal with this in your home, you know that clogged pipes, they don't work. They're very expensive to fix, aren't they? And they often break and they're broken down and you've got to replace it. See, we were made to be freely flowing. See, we find our freedom in what it says in Matthew 5.3, in, in what we call the Beatitudes. Matthew 5.3 says what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what poor in spirit means? It doesn't mean that you're distraught. As a kid, I, I used to think, well, poor in spirit means that you're just, you know, you're humble and you're insecure and, you know, you have this bad self-image. But no, poor in spirit means that you are possessors of nothing so that God can fill it. You're possessors of nothing so that God can fill it. When your bag's all chocked full, there's no room for anything else. And if you try to put something else in it, the bag's going to break and all your groceries are going to go all over the place. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those that have, they've emptied themselves of all things but God. See, this is our approach. We're called to approach Jesus as a child. Empty hand, I see you, Jesus. I don't want anything else. You're all that I need, all that I want. Let my life be that, that open pipe that you just flow through. That It's that flowing through that we talked about earlier in giving that God provides the seed. And we're saying, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm living for eternity. I'm living for your will. Let your will be done, not mine. In all that we do. Free me up, amen. How many of you are like, Jesus, that's what I want. Lord, that's what I want. Free my life of anything that's not of you, oh God. Flow through my life. Flow through this church, we pray. In your name, Jesus. But we're not done yet. <laughs> we're not done yet. So we need to approach the Lord in this way. But Jesus also, he, he, he brings up this aspect of there's barriers in our life. See, there's barriers. And what Jesus is talking about is, is that aspect of discipleship. There are barriers for discipleship. And the one that Jesus is pointing out here is he's pointing out one of the most common barriers, which is exclusivity. Exclusivity. Everyone say that together. 
exclusivity. It doesn't really roll off the tongue very well, does it? But it's, it's that whole idea that sometimes we can be exclusive in our stance. And this is what the disciples were doing here, whether intentional or unintentional. They were trying to say, no, keep the children away. They even scolded the parents. Can you imagine as a parent, you want to bring your child to see Jesus, to have him put his hands on him and bless him. And the disciples, those closest to him, they scold you and say, no, get away, little kid. You bother me. Get away. What did Jesus say? He said, what are you doing? See, they were identifying a cultural barrier of exclusion. See, for today, we love our children. We have children's ministries. We invest in so many ways because we want to love them. We want them to grow in the fullness of God. But in that culture, in the ancient Jewish culture, kids were often seen as this was an unnecessary passage just to get to adulthood. That your whole identification was just about the adult that brought you. They were not valued, they were not treated in the same way that we see them, the same way that we treat them today. And Jesus, he'd already warned them about being exclusive in the previous chapter. When you look back to Mark chapter 9, we see this story about when the disciples came to Jesus. And John specifically, he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, he said, we saw someone, listen up, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't a part of our group. That's what it says. What did Jesus say? What? Well, my paraphrase. What are you doing? What are you doing that for? Somebody used my name, and they cast out demons. They set somebody free in the name of Jesus, and you told them to stop because they're not part of our club? They're not part of our group? Imagine how ridiculous that is. See, they were in this paradigm that only those part of the in crowd, only those part of the group got to do this kind of stuff. And he's saying, don't stop that person. See, there's an aspect here that we need to be, uh, be aware of and make sure that is very clear to us. That as it relates to the gospel, the gospel is exclusive in truth. Right? The gospel is exclusive in the truth of what it is. Jesus said that what? I am the way the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. There's one way, it's through Jesus. That's the exclusivity. I got an amen for that. Yeah. Okay. So he's a truth. But the gospel is inclusive in the fact that it invites everyone to come. Do you get that? Amen. I got an amen for that one too. Okay. It's exclusive. In that it's only one way, only through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Lots of great 80s songs written about that, okay? But it is inclusive, and Jesus said, I'm the only way, and I want all of you. I want all of you to come. I want all of you to come. Tim Keller says it this way, that the gospel is the most inclusive, exclusive truth there is. He's a brilliant, brilliant person, brilliant theologian, brilliant pastor. It is the most inclusive, exclusive truth that it is because it's the truth, it's the way, it's the life. But I want all of you, you're all welcome. Male, female, rich, poor, whatever call you are, wherever you come from, even whatever team you cheer for, you're all welcome. You're all welcome. This is the inclusivity. And see, this was echoed through everything that we, as we talk about Fred Rogers in the neighborhood. That act of acceptance, that truth of connecting. One person in one of the books I was reading, they were saying that the gospel of Fred's life shined through this song more than 
any other, and it was the song, It's You I Like. You, you know that song? Right? It's You I Like. And I love it. It says, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, thank God. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your toys. They're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings. Whether old or new. This is the tearjerker part for me, okay? You ready? And we didn't even get this in northeastern Canada until I was older. It says, I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you, it's you I like. That's the inclusivity of the gospel. I made you every part of you. Every part of you welcoming and seeing him. I've watched clips of Fred Rogers singing this to children. Children who were going through difficult times. I saw him singing it to a comedian that this was not her lane. And she tried to pull something out of him and he turned her and he, he started singing this song. And it, it just broke her in that moment and just made her soft. Everybody wants that connection of someone looking in the eyes and saying, it's you, I see you. God sees you. And he doesn't just like you, he loves you. I'm a child of God. He sent me here, I love you. I want to reconnect you. And he takes you. And he accepts you and he transforms you. This is the inclusivity of the gospel. See, it's the inclusivity of the invitation. And we need to never let it come in that by being inclusive and welcoming everybody that we're compromising the exclusivity of the truth. I think sometimes we have this problem of, well, if I talk to that person or I stop to that person or I sit on the bench that I'm compromising the truth of the gospel. It's like, no, Jesus said, what are you doing? It's that exclusivity of the, tr of the truth of who Jesus is that allows us to welcome everybody and to bring them in. See, inclusivity, it introduces and invites others. It says this, Paul said this in Romans 2, 4. He said, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it's his kindness that is intended to turn you from your sin? It's the kindness of God. It's not coming down and ramming it down your throat. It's that kindness saying, follow me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. This is where we are set free from the sin that entangles us. But unfortunately, sometimes we become that, the barrier. We become that part to the gospel that we were never intended to be, never wanted to be. You know, right now, and, over, and really over the past couple of decades, we've been ex experiencing a dropout rate as it comes to the local church. A national study through Barna, and if you look in your study guide, you'll, you'll see the notes where you can go in and, and dive more into this data. But in 2011, 59% of young adults with a, Christ, with a Christian background told us that they had dropped out of church involvement. Some for an extended period and some for good. 59%. Let me just say, young adults, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Let me say, teenagers, I'm so glad. Why am I crying all day? <laughs> you got me singing songs. So I'm so glad our young adults. I'm glad everybody's here. But we need to recognize the pressure that's on our teenagers and our young adults. 
We need to be surrounding them. We need to be supporting them, loving them, encouraging them. This needs to be a safe place that no question is prevented. You got questions, ask it. You got something I say you don't understand or you disagree? I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to listen to you. We need to be welcoming. We need to be good neighbors. I, don't, I, want, I, don't, I want to see the dropout rate go away. I want to see it improve. But it's messy, isn't it? It's messy. Because though it was 59% that they found out that today with the studies, nearly two-thirds of all adults, 64%, are dropping out of churches na- nationwide. This should cause us to go to our teenagers, our children, our young adults, everybody, and say, I'm so glad you're here. How can I, how can I stand with you? How can I walk beside you? How can I love you? Amen? How many of you are like, God, do that work in me. Show me. And let me say this to you, that if you ever hear a voice in your head, something that's saying, you know what, maybe I shouldn't go to them. Maybe I shouldn't talk. You know, I'm older than them. You know, I wear this sweater and stuff going on. They're not going to want to connect to me. I want you to know that's not the voice of God speaking to you. Know what Jesus' voice says? Go. Talk to them. Right? As the bullies were saying, Fat Fred to Fred Rogers, he didn't run to Mrs. Stewart because she was the coolest kid in the neighborhood. He ran because she opened her doors to him. And she welcomed him and she said, you are safe here. And I want to say to all of our young adults, all of our teenagers, if I can, <laughs> you are welcome here. I'm glad you're here. Engage. Step up into leadership. Become members and be part of what we're doing in advancing the gospel of Christ through here. Connect. Every age. I don't... Our seniors, connect, get involved, be mentoring. You have so much to give. I walked to one of our classes this morning, and I saw one of our members that is, is, uh, has been a part of investing so much, and she, and she talked about just the, the power of Christ. And I'm like, you need to say that to everybody. That was powerful, and it's backed by a life of, of devotion to Christ. We need to hear you stepping up. We need to see you stepping up. You have so much to offer. And our young adults, our teenagers, our kids, they need it. Discipleship, this goes into that last point of our call is to be disciplers. People that are actively discipling, filled with the life of Christ. Because here's the truth that we need to recognize. If you change a child, you you change a family, don't, don't you? You change a child, you change a family. You change that family, you change the neighborhood. You change the neighborhood, you change the city. And you change the city, you change the world. But where does it start? It starts back with a child. We go, how can we change the world? You start investing in children. You start investing in teenagers and young adults with the love of Christ and say that they are here. And that will go out in a way that we have never even seen or witnessed in our lifetime. Do you believe that? They are filled with power. They are filled with knowledge. So much information but so much pressure coming in that if we can stand beside them and say, I'm with you as you follow Christ. Let me invest in you. Let me love you. Let me show you the wisdom that I have and see what God will do through them. This is discipleship. This is what Jesus did. That's why he said, you saw that person going out and casting out demons in my name and they weren't part of the group? They're part of the group. Let them go. Encourage them. Give them some fish. Give them some bread. Just encourage them. We need to be about this discipleship mission. This is what Jesus did. His effort to go out and lay hands on kids, that was his distinguishing feature of his ministry, laying hands on people. That's why he got angry. The Bible says he got angry. He didn't just get a little miffed. 
It said Jesus got angry when he saw the disciples speaking against the parents and putting the kids, and he said, no, you got to pull them in. Let me put my hands on these kids. Let me see them know that Jesus loves them, that I am with them, and I'll never leave them and never forsake them. See, that act of putting your hand on somebody, especially in that culture, it was a sign of blessing. It was a sign of a passing of inheritance saying that I endorse you. I am with you. And when Jesus touched people, they were healed. They were set free from diseases. They were filled with boldness. One commentator says it this way. He said, another gospel would have resulted, and not that of Jesus, and another church rather than his church, had children been kept from Jesus, and had Christianity been made into something for men alone. This is the gospel. Welcoming everybody. It's the exclusivity of the truth. Jesus is the way, but everyone is welcome. Don't stop anybody from coming to Jesus. Lift those barriers. Receive that call. Amen? Receive that call. This is the mission, and my call to you today is to join me in this mission. It's the great commission to go out and to make disciples. God is raising us up, and he's preparing us. But I'll tell you this, that the more that I step in this, the more that I proclaim it, and the more that I hear God speak to me and I walk in obedience, do you know what begins to happen? Attack. The more I speak it, the more I step out, the more that things get stirred. From within the body as well as from outside of the body. Because the more that you obey Christ and the more that you walk, the closer that you're getting to that battle line. So don't be concerned and don't be confused if you start walking in Christ and you start encouraging our young adults, our teenagers and our kids, and then something bad happens in your life. How many of you have ever experienced that? I walked out and, and I'm like, God, why is this happening? I thought saying yes to you meant that roses were everywhere. Mr. Rogers' piano player came out and started playing songs for me to sing. And it's just, it's you I like. Where's that? That's not at the battlefront. That's here. Hebrews says that we gather together to encourage one another, to love one another because we need it. Because I tell you this, that the more I go out and I obey God, the more I need to come back here. And I'll, and I'll even go a step further. That as we look at these stats, if you are a consumer, you're not going to be happy here. You'll be very happy on YouTube. That's a place for consuming. I go to YouTube. I learn a lot from YouTube. But I need this place. If you're a consumer, you're not going to be happy here because this is a place to grow and to become alive in Christ and say, God, how can I be a part of your mission? But if you come in and say, I'm a disciple of Christ, I want to be a part through the local church of what God is doing, Jesus' idea, not ours, then you will be more alive than you've ever felt. And you will experience what Fred Rogers talks about that's often through those deep depths of pain that he finds God. You will find that alive here as we come together and say, you know what? I'm, I feel like I'm under attack in these areas, but God is using me. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? Will you encourage me? This is the body of Christ. This is what I experience. When I go out and I'm having a hard time and I come back and I have the staff pray for me. Or I find people that I walk with, different members of the body of Christ. And they stand with me and they say, you know what, Pastor Wayne, we're praying for you. Do you know the life that I experience in that? But it's a reaction to obedience. And not even obeying perfectly. You may be out over at a grocery store sitting on the front bench and someone sits down next to you and the Lord brings up an opportunity for you to share Christ with them. That happened to me this this week. I was eating a Dick's hamburger. I like that method of evangelism, right? Go get a burger and sit down and you talk about Jesus. When we are open, I can't wait to get back together and say, look, here's what God is doing in our life. This is the call. This is the great commission. Are you with me? Are you with me in this? Because if you're not, I'm going to cry. And I won't be able to talk anymore. 
Amen. Can we all stand together as the worship team comes up? And let me just invite you in, in this moment, the worship team's moving, but I really want you to stay in the moment. I, I believe God has a word for you this morning. As a matter of fact, I know. I know God has a word for you. And maybe you need to close your eyes just so you can focus in and remove every barrier, every obstacle, every hindrance, every weight. But God has a word for you, and it's a word of calling. And I, I believe for some of you, you've been hesitant to that call because maybe there have been barriers that have set up. Maybe you've experienced some of those barriers here. And it's caused you to doubt. It's caused you to disengage. I believe this is the voice of the Lord saying, jump over that barrier. Engage. Step in. Dig in. Do you want to see what a full life looks like of following Christ? That unselfish giving it up and saying, Lord, I hear your call leading me, but I feel that I have nothing. I feel that I'm empty. I feel that I, I have nothing to offer. Do you know what Jesus is going to say? Perfect. Because some have spent their whole life just realizing that they need to come with nothing. And I would say that the emptier that you are, the more that God's going to flow through you. Study is good. I've, I've read a lot of books. I study a lot. But when I stand before the Lord, I'm like, God, what are you speaking? What are you saying? Empty me, oh God. And the voice of the Lord would say to you this morning, are you ready to step up? Are you ready to empty yourself? So that you can be filled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, the listening guide has a lot of questions in it, but I think the big question today is, am I living that empowered, that spirit-empowered life? And this is a question to ask yourself, to evaluate and say, God, am I living that on-mission, spirit-filled life that you've called me to live? Just sit with that for a moment. Am I living that life? Am I answering that call? Lord, your call is ringing out. And if your answer is yes, the response is, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Your servant is listening. If your answer is no, my question to you is, do you want to? Do you want that spirit-empowered life? If you want that spirit-empowered life, let me encourage you just to hold your hands out and then flip them over and say, God, empty me of everything. It's not the words, it's the attitude of the heart. Lord, empty me of everything. Ask him to reveal to you things that are pouring into you that need to stop pouring into you, that you need to turn off, you need to turn away from. Things that are having that negative impact that's just filling your life with junk. And sometimes it's the good stuff that we think is good. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, Lord, what do I need to turn off in my life? And what are the things that I need to turn on to be filled with you? Or maybe you're new here today and you're going, you know, this is, I've never heard the gospel presented like that before. I want to throw it away what's in my hand and I want to turn my life to Jesus. If, you're like, I, if that's you and you want to turn your life to Jesus, Every head's bowed except mine. 
I want to see you, and Jesus sees you. Would you raise your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today? Is there anybody here? Yeah. I want to give my life to Jesus. Amen. 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 Lord, we are yours. I want to invite the prayer teams to go to the side. And if you said that you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to meet one of these wonderful people. So prayer team, go ahead and move. Just go. Start moving out. <laughs> if you're walking this out and you're going, there's some things I got to get rid of. Jesus is saying, it's time to turn that off. I want someone to pray for me and help me in that. I want you to go and pray with them. Confession is a part of growing in Christ. It's part of my life. God, help me with this. I'm having a hard time turning this stuff off. I'm having a hard time not giving attention to those voices of criticism in my head. I'm having a hard time having confidence to go out and in the call. Prayer changes things because prayer changes us. As the worship team leads us, let me encourage you to go. Or maybe you're with somebody, you want to turn to them and say, look, this is how God's speaking me today, to me today. Would you pray with me? Let's make this a time of just prayer, surrender, and turning to the Lord. And if you raise your hand to give your life to Christ, I'd love to see you down here. Meet me down here. It's a long walk or a short walk. I'd love to meet you and to lead you in discovering Christ. Amen. Let's continue to worship.